0: things first. After a Bible reading like that, let's pray. Lord God, we pray for a heart where we are soft to hear the voice this morning. We pray that conviction will be laid upon us, that we will be able to engage better with you as a result from the sermon, and that we may become more like you. Amen. Well, we are welcome. Good morning. It's uh, great to be together again and we have uh, a few more people in house this morning. It's great that restrictions and and, uh, tensions are getting a bit more relaxed, so we can meet a bit more. Uh, Still requirements that we are adhering to, but it's so good to see some people live. It's great, and it's so good to be with you online too. It's fantastic that we can join together to hear the Word of God this morning, to worship, to pray. It's just incredible to do that in community, and uh, it's a real blessing that I get to bring the Word this morning. And we just went through... Uh, Mark 8. We're halfway through Mark, guys. Well done. It only has taken us about 19 weeks, but we're halfway through Mark. But let me start with a story. About seven years ago, before I I had my job here at New Beginnings, I used to live in Canberra. Not many people. Some people, my friends mainly know that. Uh, I used to live in Canberra. And my parents used to live in Port Macquarie. So I used to have to go home to them because it was a lot harder for them to get to me than it was for me to go to them. So I used to drive up from Canberra to Port Macquarie quite often in just a standard sitting. So I'd just drive up and I'd go. And uh, to try and uh, make it happen so that uh, the time passed by quicker and I didn't fall asleep or I was entertained, I used to ring people ring people up on the phone and I'd catch up with uncles I hadn't talked to for years or I'd ring my grandparents and make sure they're all right. I remember many conversations with my nan or I'd ring my parents and give them an update with where I was up to or even friends you know I'd just be like what are you up to because those that know me know I can't go without two minutes without talking to someone. You know, I am that extroverted that I cannot go for that long by myself. So I would be on the phone all the time. And this one time I was driving, driving, driving up to Port Macquarie, it was probably around Christmas time or something, because we were going up, and it's family tradition that we make a Christmas pudding the month before, because everyone knows a good Christmas pudding requires a month to sit. So we were making Christmas pudding a month before, and uh, I went up to go be part of the tradition we have, And this one time, I was on the phone and there was roadworks happening at the time and I was on the phone to talking to someone and before I knew it, I was in this town called Kempsey. Now, I don't know if you know the geography of the Mid-North Coast, but Kempsey is about a 40-minute drive north of Port Macquarie. And I don't know whether it was because I was distracted by scenery, because I was so invested in the conversation, whether it was because I just was unfamiliar because of the roadworks happening at the time, so I didn't realise I'd missed my turn off. I drove an extra 40 minutes north because I missed the signs, I missed the message, I didn't realise, oh, i meant to turn off here because the pudding is back that way. Uh, And, you know, I was kind of annoyed at myself because, you know, Petrol's expensive for a uni student, and uh, let's be honest, I was tired enough after the drive for all that time, and I was annoyed I wasted the time, because, you know, uh, time's precious, and uh, let's be honest, I just wanted to see the old familiar, and uh, so it was really quite annoying that I missed it, had to drive back an extra 40 minutes, and then into Port Macquarie, which off the highway is still another 20 minutes, so it added about an hour and 20 to my trip, hour 40 even. Uh, It's a stretch of an analogy, but this kind of talks about what we're looking at this morning, and particularly what I want to focus on in it, because we've had a lot of sermons now, right? 19 sermons leading up. We're starting to get some overlap. Now, this enforces how important these messages are. It's a reinforcement of what Mark's telling us but he's also introducing new stuff too. And so I kind of want to more so focus on that and point you back to the sermons that address the previous stuff. But I want to focus today about missing the signs. And that's what I've called the sermon this morning, Don't Miss the Signs. Because whether we know it or not, whether we're intentional in hearing them and seeing them or not, God is continuously wanting to talk to us. He's continuously giving us signs and He's continuously letting us know the direction for our life. But whether we pay attention or not will determine whether or not we're actually going to see them and allow Him to make our life the best that it possibly can be because we're living in a relationship with Him. So this morning, we looked at uh, at Mark 8, and it starts off with Jesus feeding the 4,000. Now, I just want to quickly distinguish, feeding the 4,000, we often get Just put it together with the 5,000. This is two distinct separate feedings. It's not the first, it's not the one time just retold. Jesus fed the 5,000. And let me say, Eric did a fantastic sermon on that three weeks ago. So if you want to hear about that, jump on the website and listen to Mr. Eric's uh, sermon on that because it was fantastic. Uh, And so this time, though, he's fed the 4,000. These people have been following him around for three days, and Jesus is now feeding the 4,000. And then, well, and then the Pharisees and the disciples still haven't had it quite click that Jesus is the Son of God, that the words, the ways, the works that he's done reflect the goodness of God and the coming salvation when he eventually dies and resurrects. And that's why I'm calling it Don't Miss the Signs, because we don't want to be blind. We don't, we don't want it to be a partial click. We don't just want to be Christians that are kind of, yeah, we get it, but we're not really going to do anything about it, or we're not going kind to of completely understand. We're not going to be Christians that are just partially in. There's no such thing as a partial Christian. It's either you're a follower of Jesus or you're not. And so we want to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. We, we want to be completely invested. And so to do that, we want to com- make sure we're not missing the signs. Because what happens with Jesus is when He does all this, when we see this, is we're still talking about Him 2,020 years later after He's been born. This is an effect that causes life change across millions and this is something that we want to make personal for us too. So let's start in chapter 8. Chapter 8 verse 1. We might pull that up on, on the uh, lower thirds and on the screens for them if we can. Chapter 8 verse 1 says... Just wait for it. There we go. "'In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, "'I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. "'If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, "'and some of them have come a great distance.' His disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? It's funny that they've uh, they have they've already forgotten the miracle, the first one. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Starting to sound a bit familiar, isn't it? They said, seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves. And after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute And they distributed them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalman Uthua. Or however it's pronounced. I should know that. Uh, But... There's a few things, the few things that I really want to point out in this. Because again, I don't, want to, I don't want to take away from what Eric said. He's addressed this in Feeding of the 5,000 and it was a fantastic sermon. So I'm just going to leave it there. Go to the website, mbu.org.au, where you came to get to on uh, the home church, live church. Go there if you want to hear a detailed account of the provision of God. But there's a few things I want to mention here that just really stand out to me as I'm reading it. And I can't help but mention it. Firstly, in, uh, in verse 2, Jesus sees the crowd, the crowd that's been following him for three days, and he has compassion on them. I don't know about you, but even with my 97% extroverted nature, I don't think after three days of the group of 4,000 following me, I want to be with that group anymore. I want to go meet someone else. I I, want to be with people still, but I don't want to be with the 4,000 anymore. You know, it's like, but Jesus looks at them and still has the eyes of compassion for them. Isn't that a beautiful image, right? Like Jesus, in his nature, the nature of God is so caught up in the fact that he cares so much for these people that they're hungry... That he has more care to feed and provide for them than he actually does to take it and say, go find your own food. He, he doesn't tell them that uh, they need to bring him food even. It's a matter of Jesus going out and he's saying, I need to provide for these people. It's so beautiful. The nature and the heart of Jesus is one of compassion. Secondly, that leads to my second point about this stuff that is incredible. It's God's ability to work is not, de- is not determined by your faith. Let me say that again. God's ability to work in your life, in your area happening around you, in uh, someone else's life, all of that is not determined by your faith Because God's going to work no matter what. God's the one that created us. Why is it that we think that we need to have faith for God to be able to work? It's God's going to work whether we have faith or not. He invites us into faith so that He can work with us. God is always going to work in your situations. So His goodness, His glory, His love for you will be shown. God's ability to work is not determined by the amount or lack or object of your faith. He will continue to work. That's why we got a song, you know, Waymaker. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You know that one? We sing it here. But it's so true. This is why we sing those words. Because if we truly believe it, we're allowing and empowering God to work personally in our lives. God's Ability to work is not determined by our faith. Let's, let me mention one more thing about that immediate passage that we've read. God is not, some, not someone who is looking to only just provide for your needs, but he wants to provide abundantly. And this is a reinforcement of what Eric said. When we went looked at it back in the 5,000, there were 12 baskets left over. Someone tell me on the chat, in building, how many baskets were left over in this one? Seven. Is it coincidence that there were seven disciples with him at the time? So not only were these disciples hungry, that he also gave them seven, a basket each to take from that. Isn't that incredible? It's not just a provision to meet your needs, it's the overflowing cup that we use that image so often. It's a provision where He wants it to overflow so that the overflow goes into someone else. It's something that will never run dry. It won't be something that we have to go back to to top up again because it's always going to be topped up. God just doesn't want to provide for us just so we meet our needs. He wants to provide in abundance. He wants to provide in abundance. So we're going to come up to verse 11. Let's pop that one up. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him asking him for a sign from heaven to test him let's just let's just take a look there right now there's something that really stands out to me notice the attitude of the pharisees you know we've seen people come to jesus seeking healing We've, we've noticed people come to Jesus seeking community and family. We've seen people so far in the story coming and having evil spirits removed. Then then the spirits plead for their lives. We've noticed people coming and seeking forgiveness. But what do the Pharisees do? Their attitude is to come and argue. Their attitude is to test him. It says it literally right there, to argue and test him. This is a big question that we, that brings it to us for us to reflect on. How do you approach God? You know, it's been a testing time in in the pandemic. You know, we're all getting a bit to our wit and, and you know, at the start we all pushed into made a real emphasis and I'm hoping and praying that you all have continued to push deeper into God in this time. But it's a good time to check ourselves, how do I approach God? What's my attitude when I come into God's presence? Because the only thing that's going to limit the amount of work that God can do in your life is how you let yourself, let Him work in you. That was a bit of a tongue twister. How you let yourself, let Him work in you. If you're not willing to have your heart changed, moulded, made into a heart more like God's, then you're never going to change. If anything, you're probably going to harden. And that's not what we want. No, we want want to be like someone that approaches Jesus and says, God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and make me more like you. Give me healing from the consequences. Give me, sorry, not the consequences. Give me healing from the pain I've caused myself. Help me overcome and serve the consequences of maybe my mistakes that I made. Because consequences don't, because we have forgiveness doesn't mean we lose the consequences. But we want to come to him with an anticipation that God's going to be able to work in us. Because he will. If we come to him, he will work in us. If we go to verse 13, if we continue to verse 30, sorry. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation ask for a, spot, a sign? In particular, he's talking about the Pharisees. Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat, he went across to the other side. The thing is, the Pharisees, the people, they had Jesus there. They're hearing and seeing right in front of them the miraculous works of God, all these signs, they're seeing the healings, they're seeing the, the lame walk, the blind hear, the mute talk. They're seeing things, people being forgiven. They are introducing or Jesus, seeing Jesus in like go to Gentiles, Samaritan women. When you see the signs of God that are in front of you, you've got to stop asking for more signs. It's not that he won't continue to give more signs, but you need to actually recognise that the signs are there. God's actually given you the message already. We need to start becoming aware of what God's telling us and not look for what we want to hear. The Pharisees heard and maybe even saw some of the 5,000 and 4,000 being fed and that he had done miraculous healings and he has taught in a revolutionary, revolutionary way of wisdom and He even casts out even spirits, evil spirits. When the signs of God are in front of you, you've got to stop asking for signs and look for the ones that are there. What are the signs in your life? Because God's giving you signs right now. He's talking to you. Maybe it's a heart prompt. Maybe it makes sense in your head. There's stuff that actually is being mentioned to you. You might feel a movement of your spirit in the moment. You know that uncomfortable feeling that we get and we can't place it anywhere? Or maybe it's one that empowers you to move into that thing that you're thinking about. What are the signs in your life? Because continuing to just ask for more signs is really just an excuse to not step into the action that God is calling you into. So let's, let's ask the question, why do we miss signs from God? Because, you know, it's good in theory, but let, let's make it practical. What are actually some reasons? And this is an exhaustive list. This is just some things that, as I was thinking about this sermon and preparing it this morning, this is what came to my mind. Maybe we're scared of what God might say. Let me tell you, when, when I was in Canberra and, and, you know, I was setting up my life to go in sports and exercise scientists, hoping to be in maybe a sports team or something or do further study to physio or something like that, I was afraid of what it would mean to take a step into ministry. Am I going to be in the shadow of my family? Uh, what does that mean to be able to s- supply for a family? You know, what, what does that look like in terms of dating? If I'm real... When you say to someone you're a minister, it's not necessarily the biggest pickup line. <laughs> maybe you're scared of what God might say. You know, these are personal to me. These are my stories. But what might be holding you back, because and holding you from hearing God, because you're scared? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's uh, you're you're scared and unwilling. That that might be because you're not wanting to change you're scared because if you hear the message of God there's going to be a call on your life to do something different and so the change that that might cause even if you hear it is something you're going to ignore you know you've heard but the action is stopping you that change might be too much for you to handle and so you ignore the message. You, you just pretend to not see it, or you just miss it because you're preemptively thinking about it. And if you have to change, oh, that's scary. You have to give up control. That's tough. I don't know about you, but I like to drive. I can't be a passenger. Being a passenger is scary because I'm not in control. Maybe that's something that's the reason why we're not hearing from God. What else have we got? we got, a, I might have to change some of my plans. If you give up control, you might have to actually make a life change. That means your plans change. What else do we have? Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're distracted. And maybe it's because there's so much happening in your life that actually you don't have anything focusing you on what God's saying. I believe one of the biggest tools of the enemy is busyness. That's why I refuse to say, how are you going busy? I won't say that. I'll say, life's full, but busyness, it tends to be a bit of an excuse these days. Maybe, maybe you're distracted and you need to be more deliberate in coming into some time of silence, solitude, prayer, meditation, reading the Bible, whatever it is, and actually just sitting and letting God speak to you without any distractions. Maybe it's your expectations or your limitations. Maybe the big thing that God's talking to you about is something that you can't yet understand yourself. And so you're going to say, no, that's not God. That's not the message God wants me to hear. See, God is continually looking to speak to us. Through the Holy Spirit, He wants to be involved in your life and a part of the journey that you are on. He wants to bless you abundantly and is looking for you to simply hear Him and say yes. So let's, let's finish off this reading because we're, we're getting uh, pretty far deep into the, the time now. So let's, let's continue into verse 14. Verse 14 says, Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only lo- one loaf with them in the boat. Now that's, that's funny. Uh, it's such a relief to know that if Jesus provided me a basket of food, I wouldn't be the only one that forgot to bring it with them on the boat. Uh, it's just a bit of a way to lighten the mood, but wow. Wow. Surely, let's, let's make a, a pact right here across the church. If uh, one of us forget to bring our lo- a basket of loaf, one of us as brothers or sisters will pick it up and put it on the boat for him. Can I, can I get an amen in the chat? Thank you, yes, thank you. Because <laughs> we want to make sure we have the, the gifts that God gives us. We want to be accountable in that. It's just, I love that small detail. I find it quite funny and relatable. So let's Let's continue. And he continued them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, they, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him 12. And the seven for the 4000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? And they said to him seven. Then he said to them, "Do you not yet understand?" See, the disciples, they're still they're still not quite there. You know that they're so close. And I think it's soon we're going to hear some of them make that stretch. They're going to get it. They're, they are witnessing and observing Jesus, His words, His works and His ways. That's what we're looking at. And it just hasn't quite clicked for them yet. They know that Jesus isn't some random who claims to be more than He is, but they haven't quite yet had it click for them that He is God. It is one thing, hear hear this, right? It is one thing for God to come down from heaven, but it's another thing for us to take on God's heart. Let let me say that again, because this is big, right? It's one thing for God, that is Jesus, to come down and become a human, down to us here in our world, in earth, It's one thing for that, but it's another thing for us to take on God's heart. So we talked a little bit about why we might miss signs, or why we might not be hearing from God. So it leads to question simply, how do we hear from God? How do we hear from God? i got a couple of points for you. I actually have three points that I'd like to... Three? One, two, three. Yeah, three. I got three points I'd like to mention for you. First of all, you actually have to expect that God's going to speak to you. If you don't expect God to speak to you, you've already missed your opportunity. Even if you don't feel like God speaks to you, He does. In fact, I can almost guarantee He's trying to speak to you right now. But if you aren't expecting to hear from Him, you haven't even turned on your receiver. You haven't even turned on the receiver. You know, you remember the TVs? and how you you actually have to point the control at the receiver on the TV, and if there's something in the road, then it's not going to receive the message. My TV still does that, and it's really frustrating. But if you don't point the button at the receiver, if you don't expect for the TV to turn on, then you're never going to see the news. Which brings me to the second point. You've got to tune in to God's frequency. It's not just me coming in expecting God to meet me on my wavelength. You've got to turn, turn on your receiver and then remember in the old TVs, this is before I was born, apparently you had to like turn a dial or something to connect to like the television. Is that right? Like, and you, had to, you knew that the program was being sent out, right? You knew the program was going out but you had to change to where they were sending it. It's not that the message wasn't being sent, it's just you weren't in the right frequency. So we got to turn on our receiver. We actually have to expect to do it, but then we have to try and align into the frequency of God, not in our own frequencies, not in society's frequencies, not in the church's frequencies, not in a partner's frequencies, in your frequency with God. Now, once, you, once you've tuned in, then you have to learn how to discern the voice of God. You know, if, if you have a spouse or, or a close friend, if they called from across the room or if you didn't see their number or name on the telephone, you could tell who it was just by their voice or the way they talked, or the way they say certain words. And it will become like that with God. When you sit long enough and learn the frequency long enough, when you start to hear that most, a lot more often, that's when you start to be able to actually tune in and just recognise God's voice. And you'll notice He's talking more and more and more because you're actually connected to the frequency. you're actually connected to the frequency. And that that just means when you're actually listening to the frequency, you have to test it, especially in your early stages when you're trying to hear from God. Take it to people of faith that know God's character and whether or not it's something that you can do. Test it against the Word of God because it won't change from what's written in the Bible. You've got to make sure that it's not your own voice, something you desire, or someone else's thing they're trying to oppose on you to actually be something rather than God's will. Especially, let me encourage you, especially in those early times when you're seeking God's voice, you've really got to push into testing it. God will never tell you to do, think, or say anything contrary to His Word. If you have a thought and you don't know if it's God. You can look it up in the Bible and settle it right away. So as I wrap up, I want to, I've, I personally have been trying to hear from God for what I might think there might be some people listening in, a message for them. So I'm going to just jump on the keys and I've got a couple of thoughts that I have for people out there. I'm believing this is for someone and... Uh, I'm going to play this and then we're going to enter into a time of worship afterwards to respond because after a message of hearing from God, we've really got to try and hear from God. And as a church, as a family, it's the safest place to try and start this if you haven't before or to encourage people if you are someone that's more experienced in this. So I'm just going to quickly pop this like this and switch microphones. So, where does it leave us? Here's here's the message that I believe are for some people as we listen in today. The first one's this, whether you personally believe it or not, it doesn't mean that the fact that God came for you isn't true. Whether you believe it or not, personally, it doesn't change the fact that God has done that for you. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus has died for you so that you can be free and live a life in relationship with Him. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus has died for you that you can be free and live a life in relationship with Him. Whether you think God can or not, does not take away from the fact that He can liberate you from sin. He can take away your guilt, your anxiety, your pain, depression. He can liberate you from whatever it is that holds you back you just got to tune into Him. Whether you think God can or not, it does not take away from the fact that He can liberate you from sin. He can take away your guilt. He can take away anxiety, pain, depression, and He can liberate you from whatever it is that holds you back. Whether or not you see the signs, it doesn't change the fact that God wants to speak with you. So I'm going to invite the band up as we just reflect on that last thought once more. And we're going to sing together. And the last thought was, whether you see the signs or not, it doesn't change the fact that God wants to speak with you.